Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. There is an Eastern Indian proverb about the game of chess. It goes like this. Chess is a lake in which a mosquito can bathe and an elephant can drown. Eastern India should know they invented the game of chess about 1,500 years ago, in fact. The game and the existing rules for the game were in place, making it today one of the oldest board games still being played. The Indians shared their game with their neighbors to the west, the Persians. The Persians were playing the game with much zeal when they were conquered by the Islamic caliphates. In the Muslim world, became infatuated with the game and carried chess with them wherever they conquered, including all of Spain, Portugal, into lower France. And by the time of the Crusades, chess was played all over the known world. Chess is a lake in which a mosquito can bathe and an elephant can drown. It's a game simple enough that a child can grasp the rules and learn to play after only a few lessons. And it is a game so complex, so multifaceted, that it confounds and tests some of the greatest minds in history. Beethoven, Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, Chopin, they all played chess, but so does Jessica Simpson and Nicolas Cage, Madonna and Woody Harrelson. (laughs) Mosquitoes and elephants all about. Viktor Frankl played chess. He compared the game of chess to this game of life. Not saying that our life can be simple or complex, that's true, but rather the moves you make on your chessboard are your moves to make. There is no boilerplate template for finding meaning in life. There are common characteristics that give life meaning. Frankel spoke about work, our attitude, and our experiences, those three. But how you fit all those together, how you play the game, is your game to play. For example, you were born here instead of there, and that has made all the difference in your life. You met these people instead of those people, and it's made all the difference in your life. You chose this profession over that profession, and it has made all the difference in your life. You understand this. So to that chessboard, how many possible moves are there on a chessboard? Any guess? A man named Claude Shannon asked that question in 1948. He was a mathematician, MIT professor, One of the great fathers of the information age. He worked for Nokia Corporation. 
He was an early proponent of what we now call artificial intelligence. And when the robots do take over, it will be Claude Shannon that the historians say probably did it to us. He asked that question, how many possible moves are on a chessboard? And this is what he discovered. It is now called the Shannon number. And the number is 10 to the 120th power. That's 120 zeros after the one. We don't have a mathematical name for that number. It is simply called the Shannon number. There are more possible moves in a single game of chess than all the particles in the known universe. It is a lake in which an elephant can drown. It's not likely that you're going to get that many moves with the single solitary life that you have. But you're going to get a lot of them. The point is, each day that God gives you is a day of massive opportunity. You have so many moves to make. With your moves setting off repercussions in all directions. Each action causing an opposite and equal reaction. The pieces colliding on the table. Experiences building and folding in and on each other. And it is you playing the game. Your life is your responsibility. And it will be you who discovers what gives your life the meaning that it has. Here again is Viktor Frankl. What matters is not the meaning of life in general, but rather the specific meaning of a person's life at a given moment. One should not search for an abstract meaning of life. Everyone has his own practical, specific vocation or mission in life to carry out. This mission demands fulfillment from the individual. For Frankel, the tragedy of life is not that people die. We are all going to die. We are natural beings. The tragedy of life is not dying. The tragedy of life is not living. It is failing to recognize this gift of life we have been given. And if I might resort to my favorite words from James Hollis, he says, you are here to be yourself, not through selfish injury to others, but in humble service to that possible person God intended through your incarnation. You are equipped with powerful guidance and corrective systems. Your feelings, your energies, your enthusiasms, your intuitions, your gut, this you already have, but it will be up to you to find the courage and the persistence to live this out as best you can in a world that may or may not cooperate. We seemingly get only one shot at that, this life, so our choices matter. And we are called to show up as our own flawed, clunky, awkward selves, but as ourselves. That is both our summons and our gift to others. Soren Kierkegaard was always telling little parables to illustrate Massive truths like this one. And in one of those parables, he tells a story about a man who woke up one morning. He went out, picked up his newspaper. He sat down with a cup of tea to read and found his own name 
in the obituary column. Kierkegaard says, the man was absolutely astonished that he was dead. He did not know he had died because he did not know that he had actually lived. And there's the punchline. We must resist mere existence, negligent survival, hoping unconsciously that one day we will have it all figured out or someone else will show us what to do. Life is about life. And if you aren't living life, if you aren't embracing the experience of life, if you aren't showing up in your own life, you are simply waiting for someone else to write your obituary for you. Now, Viktor Frankl said that there were three things that give us meaning or help us to make meaning in our lives. One, work, our vocation, what we do. I spoke about that in this series already. Two, what we experience. That was last week's discussion. The chances that you even exist, you might remember, are nearly impossible. Yet here you are, living the unique experience that is you and yours. And three, he said, your attitude gives meaning to life. Hold that thought, the one about attitude. I have to finish with experience today. Because within the experience of life, Frankel gives special emphasis to the subject of love. When I kicked this series off a few weeks ago, I told you the story of Viktor Frankl surviving the extermination and the concentration camps of World War II. And one thing that carried him along were the thoughts and his love for his wife. They were newlyweds. He talked about how real and present she was to him. Quote, she was more luminous than the sun. And just as he felt he could stretch out and take her hand, a little bird flew down silently and perched just in front of him. That bird on a wire. Well, here are the next few lines that I held back from you for today. For the first time in my life, by the way, this is Frankel's actual intake photo at Auschwitz. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it has been set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth is that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. I grasp the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry, thought, and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. The salvation of man is through love and in love. This man came to those conclusions, not in a church pulpit, but in a concentration camp. Will you give me your ear for just a minute? I don't much care what religion you espouse, if any. I'm not all that concerned to what name you give your God. It troubles me not if you are a Jesus freak or an agnostic, an atheist, a Buddhist, a free thinker, a mushroom taker. If you are into indigenous spirituality or if you are more reformed than John Calvin. 
If you pray to Yahweh, to Allah, to Krishna, to Jesus, to Mother Mary. It doesn't matter to me if you're more evangelical than Billy Graham, more Methodist than John Wesley, more Catholic than the Pope, or more Baptist than Lottie Moon. If you read your Bible every day, if you pray in the direction of Jerusalem, or if your idea of worship is sitting beneath a tree in the forest, here is the end of all religious, transcendental, spiritual, and mystical searching. The salvation of humanity is through love and in love. Love is the means, love is the end. Love is the power. Love is the motivation. Love is the inspiration and the aspiration. Love is the ultimate goal. Love is the eventual outcome. Any religion, spiritual practice, any way of living that does not lead us to love, that does not make us more loving people, that does not increase our capacity to give and to receive love, that religion, that spirituality, that way of life is as dead as a hammer and serves no purpose whatsoever but to convince its practitioners that they are right and everyone else is wrong. Keep whichever label you choose. Christian, spiritual but not religious, seeker, Catholic, Pentecostal, Lutheran, there's room. But love is what it is all about and all means all. Everything is contained inside that container. Well, what about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Nothing I have just said contradicts that in any shape or form. For love is the way. It is the only way. Love is the truth. It is the highest truth. Love is life. The very meaning of life. And none of us are getting anywhere. Heaven, paradise, nirvana, valhalla, a higher dimension, a more enlightened state, if love does not carry us there. The salvation of man is through love and in love. That is the path. That is the narrow way. That is the only truth I know. And that is the full and abundant life. But I don't have to be so preachy about it, because that was pretty preachy right there for about two paragraphs. Let's just bring it back to where each of us are. The words of Ecclesiastes again. Two people are better than one. They can help each other. They keep each other safe and warm. Verse 9, chapter 9. Enjoy life with your beloved during all the days of your life that God has given you. This is your reward in life. Now immediately we think maybe... Of romantic love, of course, partnership, marriage, soulmates. Romantic love is good. Romantic love is real good. But it's mainly a catalytic reaction in your brain. It's a combination of adrenaline and a few other chemicals running rampant around in your bloodstream, and it's a good thing. It's for the perpetuation and good of the human race. Now, on Valentine's night dinner, as you are wooing your beloved, I, I still suggest that you use the word love. Don't say something like, 
Oh, sweetheart, my prefrontal cortex is just flooded with dopamine right now. I feel my hormone production hitting the bloodstream, and I just can't wait for all the oxytocin to hit my brain. No, just say I love you and turn on Marvin Gaye and everything will be fine. But even here in Ecclesiastes, if you notice, it's not romance that the writer is talking about. It's not endorphins that the writer is talking about. It's tough love, not just sensual love. And even the illusion there that Garrett called the biblical description for spooning, two people laying down to keep warm, it was good, Garrett, isn't in the afterglow of a romantic evening. It's to stay alive against the cold, the constant threats, the dangers. The writer is saying it's easier to navigate this hazardous world if you have people you love around you and people around you that love you in return. It's tough for one person to get through all of this. We have left romantic love behind at this point, you see, because even those relationships that begin with a chemical reaction aren't sustained there over time. Can I get an amen? To be in love over a long, long time means to have seen the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly in the world and sometimes in each other. It means that you are stuck together and if you have to, you'll stick it to the world together. You have found a partner, one in the words of Frederick Beekner who said, brings life to your life. Now for those who find that formally in marriage, it is a gift of God, it is a reward. Not all marriages are like that, you know. This kind of love further is no way restricted to just marriage. I hope you have one or two people in your life that you genuinely love with all of your heart, and they love you. It might be the people that you pray with. It might be a small group. It began formally, but now it's so much more than that. You might be so blessed as to have remained friends with someone going all the way back to grade school or a childhood neighbor. It may have been someone that you bled with in war. It can be a workmate, the girls that you drink wine with and the boys you drink beer with. It's a chessboard, you know. All these friendships and connections can go in so many different directions. But if you have two, if you have three, if you have to use two hands to count them, you are wealthier than most of the world. If you can count that many friends, true friends in your life. To have someone, and you know the phrases, my kids use them all the time. To have a brother from another mother. A sister from another mister. A friend to the end. If you have those, you are blessed. And if you have those, maybe you should tell those people that they're important to you like that while they're still here. And it even means something if that partner, that friend, that beloved is no longer here. One last tale from Viktor Frankl today. After he came home from the camps, having survived the Holocaust, 
he began teaching at the University of Vienna. And he shared his wisdom with thousands of students, consulted with professionals all over the world. I think he, he taught at every Western institution of learning that there is. And it wasn't unusual for other professionals to seek him out, other doctors, other psychiatrists. And they would come to him with their own issues and trying to find meaning in their own life or answers in their own life. And he tells a story about one who comes to him, an older doctor. And this doctor was terribly depressed, just wrecked by depression. And as they talked, Frankel discovered that the man's wife of many, many years had passed two years earlier. And he had loved her like nothing else in the world. And with her gone, he just couldn't find a way to get back to the work that he enjoyed. Quoting, She had died two years earlier, and he had loved her above all else. How could I help him? What should I say? I told him nothing. Instead, I asked him a question. Doctor, what would have happened if you had died first and your wife would have had to survive you? His answer was immediate. Oh no. For her, this would have been terrible. I would never wish her to suffer like this. And Frankel says, You see, doctor, she has been spared from such suffering and you are the one who has spared her. To be sure, you are paying that price, but it is a sacrifice of love. He said not another word, shook his head, shook my hand, and calmly left to go back to his work. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, Jesus said. To give yourself completely and totally over to another. That kind of love sustains even when that kind of love must suffer. To be patient and kind. To be non-possessive, never boastful, never proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love never fails. These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The salvation of humanity is through love and in love.